Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce our, our speaker today because he's a dear friend. Carl uh, Martin is the pastor of a church called Central in Edinburgh. It's an extraordinary, uh, fast-growing uh, church in Scotland uh, in, a, in a culture that doesn't always like people to step up to the plate and say, we're going to pioneer, we're going to lead, we're going to do this. Carl gets on and he pioneers and he leads and he has a vision uh, actually for the whole Celtic uh, nations and, 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 and heads up a, a network uh, of, of uh, church planters and resources for them called Cairn. And uh, he's written a fantastic book on uh, discipleship, unpacking some of the stuff he's going to be talking about today, actually, called Stand, uh, which uh, you can get uh, from all good bookstores and one or two, frankly, average ones as well. And uh, uh, he's married to Nikki. They have uh, four daughters. I think that's an achievement. And um, we're doing this series at the moment looking at discipleship and really deliberately looking at the hard things Jesus tells us to do. And um, Carl is continuing that uh, series uh, for us today. But first, if you're able to do so, I wonder if you could stand for the reading of God's Word. This is John chapter 14. You may like to uh, look it up uh, or just listen, listen along. John chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus Christ. We're going to read John 14, 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, says Jesus. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, uh, Lord, we don't actually know where you're going, so how can we get there? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Philip said, uh, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father? The Father's in me. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least, believe at least on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Ladies and gentlemen, please be seated, and Carl is going to unpack this scripture for us. Wow. It is... Uh, hi. It's so good to be here. Um, it's been worth it for me just to spend time in worship with you. Wasn't that fantastic? Just... 
be in the, we should give the band a massive round of applause because they just do some great stuff and we don't always honor that and uh, everyone else who does everything else is brilliant. It's been worth it for me just to uh, be in Guildford to carry a kind of torchy thing through the streets in some kind of pagan Game of Thrones festival thing where, you, you know, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. It's a privilege to be here. Nikki, um, Nikki it's Pete. Nikki's my wife. <laughs> Pete's my different facial hair. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> Carl, uh, married to Nikki. <laughs> Nikki, uh, I definitely married up, and I have four daughters ranging from 21 down to 16, unmarried, open to offers, anyone. I, I totally buy into all that kind of stuff, so if you're keen, we can talk later. Um, and, uh, and I live in a house. We just moved to a house in the country, and the house in the country we have, uh, get this, one female dog. We have three female geese. We have five female sheep and ten female chickens. Uh, I don't know if that, yeah, 10 hens. We have 10 of those, and uh, I'm totally overrun. We have a cat that used to be a male, and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm totally overrun by, by the whole thing. And I lead a church which um, has about 1,000 people and 75% under the age of 30. So the primary role I play is the role of father. That's my kind of job. But the primary calling of my life is to be son. My primary role is father, the primary calling of my life is to be, to be son. I guess my primary job description is to be disciple maker, but my primary job is to be disciple. That's the calling of my life. I don't think you could be in a better series when you take into account what's going on in our world at the moment. Because however you frame it, there's a shaking and there's a shaping and nobody knows what is around the corner and people are concerned about the, the political realities, the economic realities, the, the personal, social, relational realities. What is, what is going to happen? And, and, and you know that the answer doesn't lie in Trump or Clinton. The answer doesn't lie in politicians and the answer doesn't lie in hedge fund managers or YouTube celebrities. But the answer, the hope, lies in Jesus Christ mediated by the body of Jesus Christ. The church and the body of Jesus Christ isn't a building. News. The body of Jesus Christ isn't an organization or an institution fundamentally. The body of Jesus Christ is a coming together, many, many, myriad, thousands, millions of comings together of disciples, methetuses, learners, people who are apprenticed in the life of Jesus Christ. So what would it look like if we stopped seeing discipleship as a program you undertook or a course that you came on, but it was a life, a life apprenticed in the person of Jesus Christ that doesn't end, it just grows and it gets better. So that's what we want to talk about uh, today. And I'd love it if you turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel and chapter 14, which is the passage of Scripture that many of you will know really well, others of you not so much. If you open it up, it makes me think that you're listening. If you have a notepad and take notes, it just blesses me. You know, you, you can write anything down, really. It just makes me think that you're actually participating in this thing because preaching is a community event. <laughs> Lean in and, uh, and let's, uh, let's take some notes. Make Disciples is the title. And, and here's the thing, immediately I have a problem, because 
Although Jesus seems to suggest that's what we've got to do, Matthew's Gospel 28 and verse 19, go into all the world, preach, teach, make disciples of all people. Clearly, we don't make disciples. Jesus makes disciples. That's his job. We, we, we cooperate with him as he's making disciples. We, we want to participate with him as he's doing that. We want to become the vehicles through which disciples are, are, are made. But actually, he's the one making disciples. The transformation that God wants to do through you, he first has to do in you. He's doing something in you. The best thing that you can be is a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, making disciples is the product of your availability colliding with his ability. Making disciples is the product of your posturing colliding with his presence, and it's the overflow of that stuff. As you say, God, I'm totally available to whatever you have for me, and he fills you, and then something happens in you. It's the cascade of the Jesus life in you that becomes viral and affects everybody else around you. So we're going to hang out with Jesus just uh, for a few minutes in John's Gospel and chapter 14. Nikki and I um, have been leading a church for 12 years in, in Edinburgh, a totally beautiful city. And uh, we arrived 12 years ago to lead a Baptist church, which was about, um, I'm guessing it's about 150, 170 people. Uh, it was very traditional, organ. All right. <laughs> No, 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 no. And uh, overhead projector. Do you remember overhead projectors? Had that whole deal going on, and uh, Nikki would weep for the first like four or five weeks. She would sit in the just over there. I can see her right now, and she's weeping. I'm saying, "What's going on?" She's, "I hate it. <laughs> I hate this place." <laughs> but we were there out of obedience, and then God started to do something. As we worship Jesus and as we taught about Jesus and as we tried in our faltering way to communicate the love of Jesus, the church grew. And we grew from, from that number to about 800 people in about the first four years. And it was really exciting and everyone was getting excited about it. And then God said to me, I'm pretty clear it was God. He said, Carl, what you're doing is good, but not best. And then I had this argument with God. I said, I think you'll find that what we're doing is pretty good. <laughs> I don't want to disrespect you in any way, Holy Spirit, but I think what we're doing is pretty good. And he said, no, 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 no. What you're doing is building something that's a mile wide and an inch deep. What you're not doing is doing what I asked you to do. You're just the best show in town at, at the moment, and people are coming around. It's very, very fragile, and it's not what I've called you to do. You're kind of one smoke machine away from a megachurch. <laughs> it's, just not, it's, just, it's just not what I'm calling you to do. And then he pointed me in the direction of Jesus and said, well, look at what Jesus did. He spent most of his time with 12 people. He spent... Focus time with three people, and through those three people, they ended up leading this incredible movement of Jesus that ended up being about 50% of the known world. It changed absolutely everything. So what would it look like, Carl, if you stopped getting people to serve your vision and you started to serve everybody else's dream? 
What would that look like? Well, what would it look like if instead of gathering people to come and listen to you do stuff, uh, you just resourced and encouraged everyone else's vision and everyone else's dream because people have got dreams. You've got dreams. You've got a vision. God's placed that in your heart. What would it look like if we spent our time just saying, I want to train that up, encourage it, permission it, pay for it, release it. Let's see what God will do in a movement of discipleship. And I'm so proud. If, if you're allowed to be proud, I'm proud of our kids. I'm proud of, of, of the young guy today who's preaching right now in a little old Baptist church about a mile and a half from our main building in the center of Edinburgh, who started in our community as a worship leader who would never open his mouth and speak. He's preaching today because God's got a hold of his heart for church. He loves the church of Jesus Christ. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of the, of the older couple who got, got to retirement age and owned a farm. And they said, well, we're not going to just uh, put up our, our feet and, uh, and just hang out and look after our grandkids. We're going to repurpose the farm. We're going to buy 12,000 hens. And we're going to include excluded children from schools. And we're going to show them the love of Jesus. At 65, they started this thing. I'm so, I'm so, so proud of them. I'm so proud of the, of the gnarly guys who, who love surfing in Scotland. Not proud enough to go with them, but I'm proud of them. And uh, I'm proud of the fact that they came to me and said, Carl, we're not evangelists, dude. We're not, ev we're not evangelists, but we just want to hang out in the surf with some of our friends. Is that okay? Can we do that? And I said, yeah, go for it. And they bought this, uh, this VW Camper split screen, beautiful thing they call Divina. And they, they, they take it down to the coast, and they just open it as a sacred space. And do you know what? Those non-evangelists have led more people to Jesus in our community than anybody else. And now they're planting a surf church down in Scotland. I don't know how well that's going to go, but we're just, trust, we're just trusting God with that. I'm so proud of that. I'm proud of the group of students who didn't know any better than when I preached and said, I think this year some people are going to buy houses in the worst estates in Edinburgh and just move in and show the love of Jesus. They bought one. I had to have this word, really? <laughs> what did you do that for? They basically, they basically planted a church. I'm so proud of what happens when we give ourselves to making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. You end up with this beautiful, crazy, messed up thing called church. And it changes the world. And so all I want to do today is talk you through this passage of Scripture. And I want, to, I want us to hang out with Jesus and I want Jesus to introduce us, introduce you to his reality. And I want Jesus to introduce you to his person and his presence. And I want to allow Jesus to introduce you to his purpose and his adventure. You up for that? Like nine of you. Uh, excellent. So, uh, so get your Bibles out. John chapter 14. Get your notebooks out. No doodling. Let's, let's go to, for the word of God. Here you go. Here you go. Three things. Set your heart on the Father's house. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Get on your feet into the adventure of God. You know, it's, it, it, honestly, it, it's not complicated stuff. It's just this is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in such a way that it becomes almost like a viral epidemic of discipleship around, around your life. Jesus starts off in John chapter 14 with three huge statements, which if you allow it just for a moment will wreck your life. He starts off by saying, uh, uh, don't be anxious or upset. Trust 
in God, trust also in me. That, I mean, that's huge. You can feel anxious, but you're not allowed to be anxious. Which, which is perfectly understandable because he's speaking to a bunch of disciples who know that they're not the finished product. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to die. I'm going to hand the whole thing on to you. I've been training you for three years. And, and he's speaking to a guy who was a terrorist. And he's speaking to a guy who's got an anger issue. He's speaking to, well, two guys who've got anger issues. He, he's speaking to a guy who's frequently wrong, never in doubt. He's speaking to these guys who know they're not the finished article. And he's saying, I'm handing the whole thing on to you. But they, they, they undoubtedly felt anxious about the whole thing. Oh, my word. And Jesus says, you can feel anxious for you. It's not to be anxious. And, and, and you feel anxious, don't you? I mean, I feel anxious. I've got, um, Yemen makes me anxious. Nuclear subs. Thanks, Pete. That makes me really anxious. I, was, I, was, I wasn't as anxious until you started. 330,000 troops. This is not weird. Let's not go weird about this, but nuclear subs. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to get his prayer in populated this week. <laughs> 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 Just be nice to see you in it for a change. Oh, <laughs> I come back to that. But you have every right to be. You have every right to be anxious. I'm anxious. What's going to happen? I've got four teenage daughters. Well, they're not teenage anymore, but they they're growing up. What's the future? All, all the the certainties of my parents' generation are uncertainties now. What what does the financial future look like? What does my pension look like? How, I, I can I can feel anxious. Just not allowed to be anxious. Wow. Jesus then says, you know what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except they come through me. In a world that's lost its way, I'm the way definitive. In the world where the truth is relative, it's your truth, my truth, anyone else's truth. I am truth absolute. In a world where life is so often a pretense and a sham, I am life in all its fullness. And it's deeply offensive, isn't it? In a postmodern, post, 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 whatever else we're post world where well, we have to accept everything and we're tolerant of everything and Jesus says, no, 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 this is me, the only way, the only way home, the only way to the Father, me. It's offensive. And then Jesus says, I want you to stop here. Chapter 14, verse 12. And if you know, some of you have grown up in church, so you're, you, 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 you know enough of the Bible to be biblically dangerous. And you've read this, so it doesn't actually freak you out. But, but let, me, let me read this to you. John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me, anyone who has faith in me, will do the things that I have been doing. Yeah, really? I mean, raising the dead, healing the sick, including the excluded, loving the unlovely, having compassion for people you shouldn't have compassion for, you know, hating the whole religious system. Do the things, do the things, and they'll do even greater things than these. So Jesus comes up with these audacious statements. Because this at the heart, if you can get this in your heart, you'll understand discipleship. And if you understand discipleship and you can catch discipleship, you'll become infectious with discipleship. And that's how you make disciples. It's the overflow of the God life in you. That's what's going to happen. He says, you're going to live the impossible possible. Heaven can come to earth. Heaven, a little bit of heaven touches earth whenever discipleship is being outworked. 
Whenever Jesus is truly being worshipped, whenever people are truly loved, wherever kids are, are adopted and fostered, wherever old people are visited, wherever lonely people are included, wherever poor people blessed, prisoners freed up, sick people healed, addicted, lost people found, wherever that happens, something of the kingdom of God just breaks in. Discipleship is, is happening and it's an, it's an effect. Does that excite you? This kind of thing could be happening in Guildford. You know, if you've just stumbled in here today and you've never been here before and you're a bit weirded out by the whole thing, you need to understand what's going on. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, okay? This is what Jesus does. This is, this is the hope of the world. This, this here, this here is the hope for Guildford and beyond. Those of you who live in the really nice places just outside. You know, this is, this is, this, this is the hope for Guildford. Something I said. Uh, just a Missed his off. Uh, this is the hope for Guilford. Everywhere that Jesus' name is lifted high, everywhere that discipleship is taught, everywhere the presence of Jesus, it's the hope for Guilford. That's what's supposed to happen. This, 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 this is for that. It's not for this. It's for that. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. This is the halftime team talk in the football match. This, we're supposed to hear the stories of what God has been doing, and I'm supposed to give you the hairdryer treatment, and we'll do a bit of healing afterwards, and then you're supposed to get out there and play a better second half, because this, this is the hope for Guildford. So let's teach the Word of God now. So set your heart. Set your heart. You want to be a disciple that makes disciples? Set your heart. Don't be anxious. You can feel anxious, you just don't get to be anxious. Why? You can trust me, says Jesus. That, that, that Greek word, you, you'll know this, that Greek word is the word pisteo, it's the root word of the word pisteo, and it gets translated, believe in me, trust in me, put your faith in me, but the picture language is so beautiful. The picture is this, of, of I am going to place the whole of the weight of my life on the belief in my heart that there is a God in heaven who's calling me on. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take everything, my future, my plans, my finances, my, my potential, and I'm going to stand it on, on, on this belief in my heart that this Jesus changes everything. That's what, that's what I'm doing. You don't need to be anxious in this world because there is a God in heaven. And Jesus says, just in case you're not sure about that, let me invite you into my reality. Isn't that cool? Let me just invite you into my reality. There is a Father, he says. And those of us who've read this passage before, we probably missed this and we probably take it for granted. But he's speaking to a bunch of guys who understood who God was. For, for, for generations, they'd understood El Elyon, God Most High, Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of the angel armies. They understood his provision and his power and his might and his presence. But they didn't get this, that all of that stuff comes in the skin of a daddy. And that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? All his power and all his perfections and all his might and all his awesome stuff comes in the skin of a daddy, which means you don't need to be anxious because he gets you. And he's got your back and he knows about the cancer and he knows about the kids and he knows about the finances and he knows about the brokenness and he understands where you need forgiveness and he gets all that stuff and he loves you completely because he's not just the reflection of earthly fatherhood, he's the perfection of fatherhood. So he's not some kind of amalgamated version of all the good dads that you've seen. He's the perfection of fatherhood. He's the model of fatherhood and he loves you completely. He's the daddy. He's the daddy. You know, I have these four daughters who, it's, 
you know, it's the greatest privilege of my life to be a dad to daughters. So, so beautiful. So, it's just an incredible thing. But uh, they want me only for two things. <laughs> they want Nikki, who is omnicompetent, this most amazing woman. She's just, I married up, way up. How many men married up? How many men are hoping to marry up? <laughs> yep. Come on, get your hands up. Uh, you know, I, I married up, and, and, and they want Nikki for everything. They want me for two things. They want me for shopping. Oh, they want me for shopping. And not what you think, not because of what you think, not because I've got any money. I can't pay for the shopping, but I just totally love shopping. I love it. It's amazing. I love clothes. I got all the patience. Oh, that looks beautiful on you, darling. It's fantastic. I'm walking along Guildford High Street with these torches. Okay, and everyone else is going, oh, this is really medieval. And Pete's going, Game of Thrones. Blah, blah, blah. This is medieval. There's something very prophetic about this. And I'm going, oh, jigsaw anthropology. That's nice. <laughs> I like that. I, I do them, I buy their makeup, I know Naked Palette 1, 2, 3, I know once you Mac, you don't go back. I understand all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm all over the shopping thing. They want me for that, which is irrelevant, but what they, what, they, <laughs> what, they all, what they definitely want me for is they want me when they're scared. When they're frightened and when they're scared, they want that. I've got two of my daughters in America. When they, when they want me, they ring me up any time, day or night, whenever they're scared, because they are under the ridiculous idea that I'm not scared, that I can handle it, that I can sort it, and that I have a solution. They're wrong. But you have a daddy who can, who does, who sees, who loves, and who's got your back. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, the father has a house. Did you know that? And the father's house is, is the place of the perfection of the Father's reign, his rule, his realm, his reign. It's where wherever God wants to happen, happens. It's the absence of anything that contradicts with the person and presence of God. So it's a place of no more tears, no more shame, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more separation, no more abuse, no more heartache, no more disappointment, no more failure. It's a place of all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus says this cool thing. I think the Father's house is your home. It's your home. It's, it's, it's where you belong. It's where you're supposed to be. It's, by, it's your address. It's where you're supposed to hang out. Set your heart for the Father's house and it will change your life. Bring you security that you've, you've never imagined having. The Father wants to love you today into a security that will propel you into discipleship and will compel you into making disciples. That, that's the best thing I'm going to say, so write it down. The Father wants to love you today in such a way that will compel you and draw you into discipleship and equip you for making disciples. There is a Father who has a house and his house is home. You don't have to be anxious. In reality, there is nothing on this planet more misdiagnosed than homesickness for heaven. 
That's why you feel grief. That's why you feel pain. That's why you feel disappointed. That's why you feel frustrated. You're a displaced people desperately seeking our way home. That's why you feel lost. That's why we think to ourselves, maybe we need more sex, or maybe we need a different kind of sex, or sex with somebody else, or maybe we need some more kudos, or some more letters after our name, or maybe we need a change in career, or a different relationship, or, or a change in church, or a different role in church. How sad. We, maybe we need these things. And uh, Jesus says, no, 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 you just need to live at home. You just need to find home. You're just homesick. And isn't it ironic that with every kind of decision that we make in every single day of our lives, it's so easy to run away from the very thing that we're seeking. It's very easy to get in the vehicle of our lives and drive away from the very things that will bring us peace and hope and security and satisfaction and joy so we get in our car and we put, we put the wisdom of God in our rearview mirror and we drive away. We put the purposes of God in our rearview mirror and we drive away. We put the will of God in our rearview mirror and we drive away. And then we wonder why we do stupid. But we do stupid because wisdom's behind us and we drive away from wisdom. We, we, we look for love in all the wrong places because love is behind us and we, we drove away from, from love. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus whispers, Did you come home? Would you set your heart towards home? I, um, I began to realize as I travel more and, and teach that I'm not actually a very good international speaker. Um, I get on planes, and uh, I know that when you get to conferences, you're supposed to have an airplane testimony. You know? You know how it goes, don't you? you know, hey, great to see you guys. I was on the plane today, and... Uh, had a prophetic word. It's always an American, by the way. <laughs> Sorry if you're American. <laughs> had a prophetic word for the guy next to me, and uh, their, their, leg, their leg grew. <laughs> and, and in that moment, God, you know, I was just telling the gospel, and the whole of the first-class cabin got saved, and uh, the pilot got slayed in the spirit. And, you know, on, honestly, <laughs> here's the thing. I, I get on a plane, and all I want to do is watch movies. You know, I have so much noise in my life and uh, too many girls at home, and so I want to watch male movies. Slightly violent ones, if I'm honest. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm done all the chick flicks back home and all the kind of costume dramas, and I, I pretend I, but I, you know, anyway. I just want to watch movies. So I don't, I don't have many plane stories, but I do have a train story. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, good. You're going to hear it anyway. Um, so I get on a train. I'm on a train from Edinburgh to Inverness, and I'm, I'm due to speak in a place called Inverness, and I'm on this train, and I haven't prepared as well as I might have prepared, but I know I've got three hours. So I do this thing. I spread out across the table. It's called nonverbal communication. It says, do not disturb me. I put earphones on, and then this woman sits opposite me. I mean, she's right opposite me, and she looks like she wants to talk. Annoying. So I do, I do a deal with the Holy Spirit. I said, I'd give her five minutes. It's me. It's my pastoral heart coming out. And, um, and so I start a conversation. Do you know, within about a minute, she started to tell me her life story. Totally. No, no, uh, no, no barriers, no filters. Just, poof. she says, so I'm, I'm a prostitute. I said, oh, good. She said, um, and so um, my story is this, that um, I got pregnant by my pimp. And I lived in a place called Brighton. I got pregnant by my pimp, and my pimp was trying to kill me and the child. And so I just got to the train station, and I got a ticket to the furthest away place I could get to in Britain. It happened to be Inverness. And I got on a train to Inverness, 
And she says, I hate Inverness. I've lived there for eight years. I said, why do you hate Inverness? Inverness is a beautiful place. Most people who go to Inverness go there on holiday. They think it's amazing. It's a kind of nice place to bring your kids up. It's, you know, all this kind of stuff. And she says, I hate Inverness. It's so churchy. She says, everyone goes to church in Inverness. And they're all kind of really judgmental. They look at my life. They know what I've done. They know who my daughter is. They, they exclude us and they look at us and they judge us and they stay in their little holy huddles and blah, 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 blah. She says, what do you do for a job? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher. But no, I said, I'm a pastor of a church, and then I do this ridiculous thing at a thousand miles an hour. I do this apologetic for church. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes church is a bit like that, but church is supposed to be the body of Jesus Christ, the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus. And if you came to our church, you would find we would include people like you, ooh, and, 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 and a whole bunch of other people. And, and we do these missional communities, and, and we're not judging people. And, and halfway through this, this rapid apologetic, the Holy Spirit arrested my life and said, she doesn't need to hear your pathetic apologetic for church that makes you feel better. She needs to know there is a Father in heaven who loves her. She needs to know he has a house. She needs to know that his house is the absence of all the stuff in her life that is causing her pain. And she needs to know that her house is home and she needs to come home. Wow. We just started to talk. We talked about Jesus, we talked about coming home, we talked about the absence of all the pain in her life, and we prayed. I prayed for her, she prayed for me, <laughs> which was great. And then, uh, I don't know where she stands right now, but I know this, we have got to stop trying to apologize for church, trying to build this thing called church. And start to make disciples who make disciples, who live out of the Father's house, who understand who God is, and call people home. Because that's what people are longing for, to come home. So Jesus says, set your heart. Set your heart on home. It will change the rest of your life. Find out your address and set it in the Father's house, and it will change the rest of your life. And then, and then, and then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, fix your eyes on, on me. And this is where it gets really awkward. Because Jesus has done, a, I mean, in my opinion, Jesus has done a brilliant job up to this point. You know, he's talked about the Father's house. It's an incredible thing. And, and he's included everybody in his Father's house, Father's house is home. It's a wonderful thing, and it will preach really well. And then he goes and ruins it. If only I had been there to help him in his communication. Because then he goes from this massive inclusion to, this, to this, this very exclusive comment. He says, there is no other way that you can come home unless you come home through me. The world is seeking a way, a direction. The world is seeking truth, an anchor for the soul. The world is seeking life. That's what it's seeking. We, we were kind of created in the image of God with this God responder mechanism in, in our hearts and lives. And the world is seeking that, and I'm the only way to it. And it's quite offensive, but it's incredibly profound. Jesus says, you want to be a disciple? Fix, fix your mind's eye on me. Do you see my beauty? Do you see my glory? Do you see my wonder? Do you see my lordship? You don't need to be anxious, because right now Jesus Christ is conscious, active head over all things. Do you know that? Over every government, every power, every nuclear submarine, every election, every heartache, he's conscious, active head over those things. He's in control. He's the Lord of the universe. Would you fix your eyes on me? It'll change everything in your world. 
Would you fix your eyes and your heart? And then he says, of course, if you, if you, if you live out of the Father's house and you fix your eye on Jesus, then the rest of it is just logical stuff. 14.12 is just logical stuff now. Set your heart, fix your eyes, fill your mind's eye, and now let's go on an adventure. This is magnificent. He says, now you get me, now you trust me, let's just, let's jump. Let's go. You don't have to fear anymore, you don't have to be concerned anymore, you're not worried about finances anymore because everything the Lord calls you to, he finances. You don't have to be concerned about this stuff. We're in, off we go. What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? The things I did, you do, include people. Have compassion, mercy, grace. Heal the sick, pray for them. Speculate on the power of God. We're not called to a preservation, we're called to a speculation, aren't we? Posture yourself with your life between the promises of God that he's spoken into your life and, and the fulfillment of the promises of God because they will be with expectation and availability, not with fear and despair. Let me say that again. Posture your life between the promises of God that he's placed in your life. It's all over the scriptures. He's spoken it into your life and the fulfillment of the promises of God, which will be with expectation and availability not with fear and anxiety. Let's go on an adventure. That's why Ibiza makes sense. Not because all the finances add up, but because Jesus is in his eyes. And his home is the house of God. And God's already underwriting it right now. That's why church planting makes sense. That's why God's gotten you hold of your heart for it. Because he always, he's always calling you on and beyond into his adventure. He says, come on. You don't have to hold on to your get out of hell free card until he calls or comes because it's scary out there. You get to play in this incredible adventure called, called life. That's why adoption makes sense. That's why opening your home and your heart and your finances, that's why holding everything like this and not like this makes sense. Because you, you've seen in the eyes of Jesus. And your address is the Father's house. And he's calling you home. And then what happens is this. It's very simple. You become Methetus, disciple of Jesus. And you become it in such measure that discipleship seeps out of every part of your being. So that, so that other people catch it. And suddenly, instead of you going after, we've got to make disciples, God is just making you, profoundly you. And discipleship is the result for everybody else. Because you're saying, I want to partner my availability with his ability. My posture with his presence. Boom. <laughs> One day I'm going to go to a church that's rich enough for me to actually throw the microphone down. Not pay for it. Not pay for it. Pay for it later. Ask him. Do you want this? You want this? Ask him. Verse 14, ask, ask him. Ask me. Ask him. He's more than able to switch your life on. He's more than able to deal with your insecurities and your, your concerns and your pasts and your problems. More than able to forgive that stuff. He's more than able to take you on an adventure. It's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous prayer. Use me. Partner with me, Jesus. But it will change everything. It will wreck your life, and then it will make your life. Wow. Let me tell you as I close about Andy. Andy's a guy who sits here in my church. My church. 
sounds very arrogant, doesn't it? In Jesus Church that I happen to have some role in. Um, but he sits there and, uh, and he beams. He looks like Jesus. He smiles. He laughs in all the right places. He takes notes. He does. He looks like Jesus. He does. He just, he just radiates Jesus. And people can't get help but get affected by Andy because he's been in the presence of Jesus. Seven months ago, he didn't know Jesus. For seven years, he sat in my church, and he looked miserable, and he looked angry. One of our worship uh, leaders had got into a difficult relationship with this guy who led a, he was a lead singer in a band, and she got pregnant with him, and uh, they had a baby, and then she got pregnant again, had another baby, and, and he had some anger issues, and he had some drug issues, but he came along to church, and he sat, he sat up the back, and he just looked angry at me. My girls call it Degs. Degs all the way through the service. He would go, be doing this kind of thing, and he would just look angry. And we'd talk every now and again. We'd have a conversation, and then he got into some financial problems. And uh, some of the guys from our cap ministry just got around his life, and he showed up at a weekend. And Jesus just radically encountered his life in such a way it changed absolutely everything. I tell you what, his face changed. Seriously, I have never seen someone's countenance change so radically. He, he can't help telling people about the Jesus that he's encountered. And, and a few weeks ago, I baptized him and dedicated his kids. Wow. And then he said, I probably ought to get married. I said, good, good plan. Let's, let's do that as well. So we're doing the, the whole deal. Do you know, Jesus will change everything when you come home. So let's land the plane. Some of you today just need to come home. You just need to come home. You've, you've showed up here and you know you're a long way from home. You know you've run in the opposite direction. You want, it's understandable why you did it, but you need to come home. There's a beautiful story in the Bible, perhaps Jesus' most f famous story, the prodigal son story, where he says uh, that the father hitches up his skirts. And when he sees the moment that the prodigal turns around and starts returning, he runs. He runs to get ahead of shame. He runs to get ahead of the complaint. He runs so he can embrace the one who's coming back to him. And some of you just need to come back. You know, the moment that you take one step towards the Father, the Father runs towards you. Some of you need to come home. And some of you made your address somewhere else. You, you, you know what it looks like to live at home, but you know how much the Father loves you, but you've begun to make your address somewhere else. The things that became important to you are, are not the things of the Father's house. They're things that you've made up that are important, and it's understandable. It's the way our world is, but it's not who God's called you to be. It's time to come home. There is grace in the heart of the Father for those who've moved out of home and need to come back. And there are some of us who just our, our gaze has stopped being Jesus. And we never meant it to be, but somehow the, the stuff of this world will always militate against you and Jesus and Jesus and you. And you find it really difficult when we talk about discipleship and making disciples because you're not really sure what's going on. And that can be dealt with just in a moment. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And let him overwhelm you with his beauty and with his grace and with his compassion and with his truth and with his lordship. And see if that doesn't change absolutely everything. It's come home time, guys. So we're just going to take some space. Pete's going to come and pray and we're going to see what God wants to do with us.